Welcome to episode 20 of the podcast of Lifeline of the Judy Taylor Story. I'm the author, Shireen Chichiboy. Chapter 20 Chromium Deficiency and the Swedish Professor. In the April 1977 issue of the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, Jeech's article on chromium deficiency appears. As lead author, he had written this paper with ABR, Dr. Richard Chu, Dr. Errol Marlis, and Dr. Gordon Greenberg. Although he does not realize just how groundbreaking his discovery is and how heavily cited this paper will become by other researchers, and the American Diabetes Association, even 30 years later. He is thrilled about his finding and excitedly shares his story with Rutland, a man he regards highly, a man who himself did pioneering research in parental nutrition and is responsible for the development of intralipid, a man whose work Jeech had read when devising Judy's original alimentation. Rutland has come to Canada to visit Jeech and Judy, and sits now with Jeej in his college wing office. We gave her the insulin. It increased her weight, but she didn't at all improve. And frankly, I didn't know what was wrong with her for a whole year. Jeej flings his hands wide and raises his eyebrows to emphasize his point. His audience listens, enraptured. Rettland has flown all the way from Sweden to see for himself what this remarkable physician and his unique patient are doing to see just how they're revolutionizing TPN. The name Jeej used to describe this artificial feeding in his seminal article on Judy in the 1973, Volume 65 issue of Gastroenterology, which Jeej had read in part in front of the 9th International Congress of Nutrition in Mexico City in September 1972. Jeej continues, When I was reviewing this whole trace element stuff, I came across the fact that chromium was required to promote insulin action. Well, I called Mertz, the animal biologist with the USDA, the United States Department of Agriculture. I spoke to him, and I asked him, Do you know of any human cases? And he said none. So I thought about this for a while. And you know, I found his work so compelling, I just went ahead and gave her, Judy, the chromium. And it worked. Jeech leans forward, his face still showing disbelief at this miracle cure. It worked? The results were absolutely dramatic. He leans back and flings his hands out. Absolutely dramatic. Her glucose intolerance went away and her neuropathy disappeared. This is an important achievement, Kush. We were all very excited. As you know, for a long time, people didn't know why she was having all this trouble. Then we knew that chromium worked in animals. But it is one of those types of trace elements where the data is elusive in showing what chromium does. We can show it in adipose tissue slices. We can show it in animal type studies, but it's very difficult to show that chromium has any value in diabetes. I agree. Is not the absorption of the inorganic form very low? Yes, you're right. The organic form, called glucose tolerance factor, well, we don't know its composition. You get it from yeast. There's lots of chromium in yeast, but we couldn't give Judy yeast. Retlin laughs. No. Now, if you take a diabetic, you gotta feed him but his food is not going in an IV, so we could give Judy the inorganic form. You didn't have to worry about absorption, Retland states the obvious. 
No, Cheech smiles. Coming from a long line of storytellers, he loves telling stories, but this one is particularly sweet. It went right into her bloodstream. Within three days, her stores of chromium built to the saturation point, and her plasma glucose fell almost to normal. We were floored. How did you measure her chromium levels? Well, we measured them, but you know, the blood tests are really useless. See, chromium measurements have been very tricky because they're done by atomic absorption spectroscopy. You change all these trace elements into a volatile vapor. But as you know, chromium volatilizes at 2400 degrees centigrade, see? And the problem is that when chromium is in tissues, the heating of the tissues themselves produces a kind of smoke. And that confuses the reading of the chromium. We couldn't do the measurements ourselves. Retlin raises his eyebrows. No, we had to send her blood away to Richard Chu out in Albany, New York. He did all the measurements for us. ABR, you've met my colleague in the lab at the university. Retlin indicates he has. Well, he got together all her samples of urine, G-tube drainage collections, blood, and even the tap water she drinks and sent them off to Dr. Chu at the Veteran Administration Hospital in Albany in October 1974. What we didn't know at the time was that her blood levels didn't reflect the tissue levels. And taking her blood was a big problem. There's chromium in needles, so we had to use only plastic. We also had her hair analyzed. Then when we brought her in for the infusion, we had no idea what would happen. How much chromium we should even give. So we brought her into the hospital for a week so we could watch her for the metabolic effects. We knew once we started infusing chromium directly into her bloodstream, her blood levels would mean nothing. Yes. We were looking for changes in her neuropathy for a biological effect. And that's what we found. A rapid biological effect. For the whole year she had been monitored and no change had occurred with the insulin. Then we give her chromium and there was a dramatic change in her response to insulin. It definitely got better. We took an initial sample to test her plasma clearance of intravenously administered glucose when we first admitted her. Then we infused 250 micrograms of chromium per day from January 7th to January 21st. This was in 1975. Yes, and her blood sugar just fell. We didn't have to give her insulin anymore. We'd actually stopped it earlier so we could test the chromium without added insulin interfering with the results. Amazing. What was interesting was that our findings suggested that up to this point, fat was being used as a major source of energy, despite all the glucose and insulin we were giving her, so she had a markedly raised level of free fatty acids. But after only seven days on chromium, her free fatty acid levels dropped, and she was now using both carbohydrate and fat for energy. Furthermore, after only three days, she began to excrete increasing amounts of chromium. She had reached her maximum retention of chromium in only three days, and that's the same period when her plasma glucose fell to within normal range. How did you decide how much to give her? Well, what we did was, I looked at what were the levels of chromium in the tissue. I looked at some idea of what the depletion could have been. And we realized later, you know, that when we switched her to synthetic amino acids, we essentially lost a lot of the trace elements that had been piggybacking in the original casein sourced alimentation. I see. So now we knew that with the synthetic source of amino acids, Judy was no longer getting trace elements that she had been before. And the most dramatic example of that was the chromium. So we gave her what I thought was an approximation for that purpose. 
After that, we put her on a smaller dose, about 20 micrograms per day in her home TPN. When I heard about your studies in men, I stopped all further investigations in dogs because you've proved conclusively that my opinion was right. This chromium study is just further proof that you are the father of TPN. Jeej demurs. Redlin insists and continues. And now I will be going to meet this wonderful lady. I will be able to tell my colleagues that I personally have seen this patient. Marlene Close, the nurse manager now working with Jeej, had told Retland about Judy at the September 1979 First Congress of the ESPN, the European Society for Clinical Nutrition and Metabolism, and he's been eager to meet her ever since. He hands back the photo of Judy on her pony that Jeej had shown him when he had first sat down in his office. You will like her. Now, you have a map and know how to get there? Yes, thank you, Kush. I've enjoyed our talk immensely. Retland finds his rental car, reviews his map, and drives out of TGH's parking lot toward Highway 401 East and Judy's house. As soon as he parks in her driveway, Judy opens the front door and steps out smiling. She cannot believe that this professor has flown all the way over from Sweden and driven two hours in an unfamiliar country just to see her. He notices immediately that she is in perfect shape. She welcomes him in, shows off Lester, sits him down in her tidy living room, and serves him tea. Thank you, Mrs. Taylor, for having me. I've been looking forward to meeting you. I've heard and read about your successful TPN and HPN for several years now. This is certainly an important achievement from a medical point of view. Thanks to you and Dr. Chichi Boy, you have proven my old hypothesis right that TPN or HPN properly administered is an adequate alternative to oral food in a patient without an intestinal tract. Now, please tell me about your experiences. She tells him, feeling awed and proud that this university professor, this inventor of her intralipid, is sitting in her living room, drinking her tea, interested in her experience and her thoughts on intralipid. You have been listening to Lifeliner, The Judy Taylor Story, a biography on a Canadian medical pioneer who made artificial feeding possible, podcast by the author Shireen Jijiboy, one chapter at a time. Music used for this podcast is I Like It Like That by Steph Sachs and The King Is Back by Echoed, licensed under Creative Commons. They can be found at dig.ccmixter.org under Instrumental Music for Film and Video. I hope you enjoyed this chapter. For more information or to leave a comment, please check out the website at ggboy.ca or the Twitter feed at Shireen J. So until next time, thank you for listening to Lifeliner. I'm Shireen Gigi Boy.